Are so thankful for all that God has done for you. It's amazing. I just returned from Israel this week, and being in Israel, you go to all the sites that are representative of what Jesus did for us coming to earth. We uh, went to the place where Jesus spent 40 days. It was agonizing that he prepared for his ministry. Upon leaving that place, you know what happened. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed me to preach the gospel. And from that point, he went about preaching the gospel, healing the sick, and doing good. There was a sect of religious leaders, not sinless people, but religious leaders didn't like they didn't like the good things he was doing. So they laid false accusations against him. Which led him to be brought before those that rendered judgment. He went to the place where Jesus knelt in that garden of Gethsemane and prayed, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And from there to Capernaum, where Jesus was beaten, stripped of his garments, and put in what's called a pit, lowered down into a hewn out tomb, painted on stone. Read about it in the book of John. From there, brought back out after he was found guilty, falsely found guilty placed upon cross and then taken off of that cross and laid in a borrowed tomb. I got good news for you today. I went to all the places that they speculate that Jesus was buried and there wasn't a body of either one. He is indeed risen. Amen. And we're going to celebrate that this next Sunday. But a lot happened between today and next Sunday. And as we are thinking this week, as you take part of this Passover week and you celebrate the Seder meal and all that happened, be mindful of what he did for you what he continues to do for you through his grace and through his mercy. Thank you, worship team, for bringing us into the presence of the Lord today. You always do a marvelous job. Thank you, congregation, for worshiping as you have and as you do. We appreciate uh, that. I want to talk to you today on a subject that uh, popped into my mind, and I just haven't been able to get away from it. And uh, I really wanted to continue sort of on the theme of the Lord's Prayer and talk to you about some other aspects of that, but um, I think this is appropriate for today, what the Lord would have us to study. I want to speak to you at the end of the service today about where we are in the process. I will tell you this, that the committee met with me yesterday 
the imagery that you have the candidate and they're unanimous. After the imagery, you have the member, which says what the majority view of parties. And so in three weeks, on the 28th, that individual will be here, will be ministering for you, and you'll be going through the same process you went through uh, a couple of weeks ago. So um, we feel that we're making progress, but I want to talk to you about that at the end of the service today, and hopefully you will stay with me. I, I'll only take just uh, five minutes or so just to address an aspect of, of the process. I want you to turn with me, if you will, in your Bible to Second Samuel chapter 24. I'm going to be reading there in just a moment, but before I do, I'd like to paint a picture for you. I'm going to take you all the way back to the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, chapter 1, we see a chaotic state. Things are in disorder and disarray, and the Spirit of the Lord breathes upon the chaotic condition and brings formation and sense out of a senseless, confused world. Light comes, creation of animals comes, the creation of human beings comes, the establishment of a garden that is more splendid than anything that you could ever imagine. Flowers, fruit trees, it is beautiful, it is plush, it is rich. Matter of fact, if you can just go with me there for just a moment, you're walking into a utopia, perfection in every sense of the word. Uh, the animals are perfect. The garden is perfect. Humans have been formed and at that point are actually in a state of perfection. All is going well. It smells good. It looks good. It is good. But something happens. When that something happens, it brings questions to your mind and you wonder, in this atmosphere of utopia, is it that the devil is just extremely too active? Is it that God has suddenly become absent? Because this utopia once again turns into a mess because we hear and read in Scripture where God says, to the woman, you will bear your children in pain. You will be subservient under the authority of your husband. He tells Adam, you will raise crops and fruit by the sweat of your brow. Things change. How could things have changed so quickly? What happened? Again, was God absent? Was the devil so active that man could not overcome the activity of this evil one? And we, when we read 
we find out that it all had to do with an ability that God placed in man when he created him. When he created female and male, he created within them this ability that brought on this demise, and that ability was the power to make an individual choice. And that remains within us today. You and I have this ability to make choices. And in making those choices, we find ourselves reaping repercussions from the choices we make and having to deal with those. So I want to talk to you today on the subject, living with your choices. And the story I'm going to read to you is an example of a king that made a choice that was not a good choice and how he dealt with it. And I think it will help us today. Let's read from 2 Samuel 24, 1 through 4, and then verses 10. Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And he moved David against them to say, Go, number Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army, who was with him, Now go throughout all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba, and count the people that I may know the number of the people. And Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more than there are, and may the eyes of my Lord the king see it. But why does my Lord the king desire this thing? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab, and against the captains of the army. Therefore Joab and the captains of the army went out from the presence of the king to count the people of Israel. And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant." For I have done very foolishly. Here David makes a wrong choice in deciding to have the people of Israel numbered. He realized that wrong choice, but had to live with it. He had to live with it. All of us must do the same. We have the ability to choose, but we must live with our choices. Let me bring some things out today about the, the power of choice. The power of choice is an active power, which means that the power to choose is not passive. It's not something you can refuse to do. Because refusing to make a choice, you've just made a choice. It's not passive. You can't refuse to make choices. You're making them all the time, every day, in every circumstance you're choosing. This means that all of us have the ability and all of us make choices. It also means that we're apt 
to make wrong choices. And I'm sure that you have made a wrong choice in your lifetime at some point or another. You make choices, you're apt to make the wrong choices. Here's another point. You're apt to make the wrong choice even while being admonished by others not to make that choice. I mean, here David the king is admonished by Joab and the other captains of the army not to number the people. Please, king, don't do this. This is not necessary. This is not wise. Now, Joab wasn't the greatest spiritual leader in all the world. If you read about him, you know that he wasn't some great spiritual person, but yet he had enough sense to know that King David was making a wrong choice. And he admonished him and urged him, please do not make this choice. But the Bible said the king's word prevailed. And he decided to go ahead and number the people. But here's the point. A little choice brings big repercussions to God's people. It brings repercussions to individuals, to family members, to communities, to churches, to denominations, to nations. It brings repercussions. And that's the point. That is the important point. Uh, And it's just a simple, small decision. Just to be honest with you, I've never really seen what the big deal was with David numbering the people. Other than it spoke of his dependence upon flesh rather than his dependence upon the spirit and strength of God. Because he felt like his strength was in numbers rather than number one God. Outside of that, I don't really know what the big deal was. Maybe I've missed it somewhere. But what is a simple choice brought big repercussions. So, all of us make choices and that that decision is an active decision. The second thing is this. We must live with our choices after they are made. Once a choice is made, you cannot do anything to change it. Now, you can make another decision. You can make another choice. But you can't change that one you've just made. You can't change that. Now, you may choose to do opposite of what you decided to do in the first choice, but I hope you get the point that I'm saying. You can't go back and redo that one choice you have made. It's done. So we must live with our choices. We can't do anything to change them. 2 Samuel 24.10, David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. And he said, Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. This means that we have to face the consequences from the choices that we have made. We must live with them. We must face the consequences. We must live with our choices. Now, the determining factor as to whether we fight or fall 
in making choices is really how we live with those choices. One bad choice does not defeat us. A bad choice won't defeat you. It didn't defeat David. One bad choice doesn't defeat you. What defeats you is your response to the choice once it's made. So all of us must live with our choices, but again, you can make a bad choice, but making that bad choice doesn't destroy you, doesn't defeat you. It's how you respond to that choice. Which leads me to the third thing. How are we to live with our choices? Well, the first thing is this. You must accept them. Once you've made a choice, you can't go back and change it, so you've got to accept it. You just have to accept it. David said, what is happening is due to my choice. 2 Samuel 24, 17. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Surely I have sinned and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. What David is saying is what is happening now is due to my bad decisions. We must accept them. Um, you know, people make all kinds of excuses when making, when making a bad choice. Have you ever seen anybody that makes a bad choice and tries to blame somebody else for the bad choice that they've made? It was somebody else. You know, that's what happened in this utopia. Eve took of the fruit, and then she gave it to Adam. And what did Adam say to God? God, it was this woman that you gave me. And Eve said, it was this devil that I ran into in the garden. Always, people are trying to blame others for their decisions, their choices. You know, some people uh, blame it on genetic determinism. They say, well, my, my grandfather and grandmother were like that. You know, they were ill-tempered and, and uh, they exploded when uh, things didn't go well and made decisions and did this and did that. And, and, and it's just genetics that's on the inside of me that causes me to make bad choices. Some say it's psycho, psychic determinism. It's my parents' problems. It's how I was raised. It's my childhood experiences that I experienced. That's why I'm the person I am, and that's why I make the choices I make. You know, when Elijah was running from Jezebel, he said, he made a statement that a lot of times people overlook. He said, I am no better than my ancestors. I am no better than my ancestors. What he was saying is, what I'm doing right now is because of my ancestors and what they taught me to do. He was running for his life and cowering to an individual that was an ungodly individual. Uh, in John chapter 9, there is a man that is blind, and Jesus approaches this man, and this man approaches Jesus, wanting healing, and 
And the disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, who did wrong? Who sinned? This man or his parents? They were saying possibly his conditions because of the mistakes and the sins of his parents. That he is blind and the choice has been made in his life that he walked in darkness. Well, Jesus said, neither, neither. This man is blind so that the glory of God can be seen in evidence. But the point I'm trying to make is, is, is a lot of people want to blame the choices they make upon how they were raised. Now, you may not have had a good childhood. There may have been things that, that were bad in your life. You may have been treated badly. But let me tell you something. It doesn't excuse bad choices on your part today. It doesn't give you a reason to act the same way, to do the same things, to repeat what happened in your childhood to your children or to someone else. We can never blame our decisions presently upon our past experiences. The third thing is this environmental determinism. Some will say, well, uh, it's because of what's around me. It's because of the devil. It's because of my boss. It's because of my spouse. It's because of my children. It's because of the area I live in, the neighborhood I live in. You know, it's amazing to me how many people uh, do horrid things, horrible things, and they want to blame it upon the neighborhood they were living in, that they were raised up in. You know, a lot of us, weren't blessed with the best things in life when we were being raised. But again, it doesn't mean that you have to be someone who is horrible, that you have to make horrible decisions and do horrible things simply because you didn't have the best when you were growing up. See, all of those things are excuses. The inability of someone to accept the responsibility for the choices they make. Listen, we have to realize that you and I are responsible all humans are responsible for their own lives and their own choices. David said, this is all happening because of me. Not Joab, not the children of Israel, not my captains, not my wife, not my parents, not my environment. It's all happening because of me. I made a wrong We have a responsibility. And you know what responsibility is if you break it down? Responsibility means this. The ability to choose your response. The ability to choose your response. Now, this is probably the most important thing I'm going to say all morning. Here it is. Until a person can say, I am what I am today because of the choices I made yesterday, they cannot choose otherwise. Let me say it again. Until a person can say, I am what I am today because of the choices I made yesterday, they cannot choose otherwise. You see, a person has to come to that point in their life where they realize that where they are right now, where you are right now, 
every person in this room, where you are right now, mentally, spiritually, is because of the choices you made yesterday or you are making today. It's no one else's responsibility. It's our responsibility. The realization of a bad choice may not come immediately. Did you know how many months they were numbering the people? Nine months. And it wasn't until the end of the nine months that David suddenly realized he had made a bad choice. See, your bad choice, you may not realize it immediately. It may be a week or two down the road, a month down the road, two months, three months, four months, five months. But again, it's not that it takes you five months to realize it. It's what you do with it once you do realize it. David, when he realized it, he said, Oh, my, I have made a bad choice, and I've got to do something about it. The next thing is this. We must not only accept them, but we must adjust to them. Now, don't just sit down. You know, David could have just sat down and drew into a shell. He could have accepted this as permanent defeat and just said, I'm not going to try anymore. I'm not going to be king anymore. But he didn't do that. He responded by asking for forgiveness of the Lord and working towards recovery. When you make a bad choice, don't disengage. Don't suddenly feel like that you can stop living because you've made a bad choice because all of us continue living. We continue living. So you don't just sit down. But you come to realize that it's not what happens to us when we make a wrong choice that hurts us, but again, it's our response to what happens. This means what matters most is how we respond to the choices we make. How many of you ever went through a fire drill when you were in school? I, back in the day, I didn't understand the reason of it. I thought, how foolish is it that, that we have these fire drills where everybody gets in a straight line and runs out of the school building and then we just stand outside in a line until the bell or the alarm starts ring, stops ringing and we just march back in. You know, what's the big deal? Well, you know what the big deal is? Did you know that most people that die in fires do not die from the flames of the fire? They die because they make a bad choice and most because of inhaling poisonous gases from the smoke. When you get on a plane and you fly, they show you where the exits are. They tell you what to do if the cabin loses pressure. Why? Because most people die by reactions. See, there's a purpose in all of that. And the same is the case with our decision-making. Most people wind up permanently harmed because they don't react to the choice in the proper way. So it's not what happens to us, it's how we respond 
to what happens. It's not the choice we make. It's how we respond to the choice that we make that can eventually get us. So we have to adjust to them and work and, and function in an appropriate way. The third thing is this. We must appeal to God for them. God asked David how he would like to get out of this. And I, I thought it's interesting that the man that co, could so quickly make a decision earlier to number the people now said, I am in a great strait. I, I'm really indecisive on how I need to deal with this, how I'd like God to deal with it. And he finally, God gives him three options. God says, David, how, how do you want to deal with this? You've made a bad decision. How do you want me to deal with this? He said, I'll give you one of three choices. You can go through a famine for three years. You can be pursued by your enemies for three months. Or you can face a plague for three days. How are you going to deal with it? David said, I'm so torn. And then he finally said, I'm going to throw myself to the mercy of God and make what I feel is the best choice possible, and that is I'm going to lean upon God's mercy. Notice in 2 Samuel 24, 14, David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for His mercies are great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. I want to tell you something today. If you've made a bad choice, the greatest and best thing you can do is fall into the mercy of God. For His mercy endures forever. First Chronicles 16.34 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Psalm 119.64, The earth, O Lord, is full of Your mercy. Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. For little decisions, for big decisions, there is no greater place and there is no greater help than that of the mercy of God Almighty. Matter of fact, there's a scripture that says His mercies are new every day. I don't know about you, but I've had to draw upon the mercy of God more than once in my life through decisions that I've made, horrible decisions. You know, again, it's amazing how, how quick you can make them and how, how, how serious they are. I was just thinking a few days ago, you've been listening to the uh, newscast uh, over the last several days, I'm sure, about this young college student that just made a decision and jumped in a vehicle thinking it was an Uber driver, and it cost her her life. She thought she was making a good decision, and uh, from all appearances, you know, it, it was. You know, she was just getting into an Uber car, but it, it was a horrible situation. But just a quick decision like that can bring on big repercussions. Other decisions that can bring on serious repercussions. 
you know, a decision to engage in some sinful activity, a decision to have a sexual encounter outside of marriage can lead to a, a quick decision. It can lead to a teenager defecting. It can lead to someone becoming hooked on drugs just by the simple choice of trying a drug one time. Uh, all kinds of things can happen through choices that we make. That's why they're so serious. They can seem so simple, but yet they're so serious. And we have to appeal to God's mercy and God's grace and to help. And I don't fault those people for making those decisions. I'm not saying that they're bad people and that we're all good because all of us in our lifetime, again, have made decisions we're not proud of and decisions where we've had to call upon God's mercy to help us. You see, the big thing we have to realize is a, a decision rarely ever involves just you. A decision rarely ever involves just you. I talked to a man in my office this week who made a, a decision a few years ago. And he, he told me, he said, you know, before I made this decision, said I talked to the person that I was dealing with and said to them, you know, I have five children. And this is going to affect them. Other decisions are made, you know, that affect other people. We rarely ever make a decision that affects only us. David, do you know how many people this decision affected? 70,000. 70,000 lost their lives because of David's wrong choice. 70,000. That's a lot. Now, you may say, uh, preacher, my decision, the, the decisions I make will never impact that many people, but they will impact one. If they impact one beyond you, not only do they impact you, but they impact somebody else. If they only impact your wife, your children, your pastor, your church, still, it's serious business. Well, there's two things to consider in dealing with choices and appealing to God's mercy, and that is simply this. God will always do right by you. When you make a bad choice and you appeal to His mercy, He will always do right by you as He did by David. He gave David the opportunity to repent for his wrong. And you'll be a better person afterward, after repenting, after facing the decision after dealing with it, you'll be a better person once you go to God and work through it. But again, when we think about this, we make decisions every day. We make decisions, we deal with things. Sometimes we make good decisions, sometimes we don't. 
sometimes it involves moral decisions. You watch something you shouldn't watch. You do something you shouldn't do. You say words you shouldn't say. And suddenly your heart is smitten. You say, I can't continue saying that. I don't know how many times that I've had to deal with that in my life. I've had to say, can come back in the form of criticism to a relationship you acknowledge when it's hurtful you make moral decisions you make decisions physical literal decisions you know, I bought things that I didn't need and paid more for it than I should have paid and had buyer's remorse anybody come on but you know the bottom line is that we always, we should, we don't, but always we should run our decisions through the filter of God's will, whether they be simple or they be major decisions. Somehow, we should come to that place where we pray that prayer, God, not my will be done, but your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I want to give you, in closing, I want to give you five things to consider. I'm going to go through them real quickly. Five things to consider about the choices that you make. Because, you see, we have to anticipate. We have to anticipate wrong choices. So how do we anticipate that? The first thing is this. Have I thought about it? Have you really thought about the decision you're fixing to make? Have you thought about it? The second thing, have you prayed about it? Have you really prayed about it? Teenager, that decision that you're getting ready to make, have you really thought about it? And have you prayed about it? Parents, have you thought about the decision you're making with your child and have you prayed about it? And those are just random examples that I throw out. Have you asked yourself the question, what will it cost me and others if I make a bad choice? What will it cost me and others? Or what will it benefit me? Really, if I make this decision, this choice, what will it benefit me? And last, and I guess most importantly, we ask, in a week or a year from now, will I be glad I made the choice I made? If you don't see yourself being happy about it a month from now, don't make the choice. If you cannot be at peace a year from now, don't Make the choice. It's important. So, one more time. Have I thought about it? Have I prayed about it? 
What will it cost me and others? What will it benefit me in a week or a year from now? Will I be glad I made the choice? When we think about this, then we can learn to live with our choices and live appropriately. I'd like to say today that you can walk out of this building never having to choose be a liar if I told you that. You'll never, as long as there's breath in your body, will you ever choose without our assistance. That's why the devil constantly is after you. It doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are. He's always there. Why? He wants you to make the bad choice. But thank given us wisdom and the ability to choose appropriately. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we lean upon Him always. Lean upon the mercy of God when we make that choice. And know that a curve in the road is not the end of the road unless we fail to make the turn. Let me say it again. A curve in the road is not the end of the road unless you fail to make the turn. A bad choice is not the end of the road unless you fail to make the turn. But God has given us the ability to make the turn through His mercy and His grace. And I urge you to call upon Him. Stand with me this morning. Would you please? And I believe the Lord knows all things. I know He knows. He knows it whether I believe it or not. It's true. There may be somebody in this place today You've been contemplating a decision. It's been on your mind for several days now. It may be a teenager. It may be a spouse. It may be a church member. It may be a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, a child, a grandparent. Those choices may involve a multitude. that you're contemplating. If not, I want to urge you to seek counsel of God. I'm going to ask you to, if you would, to bow your head for a minute. And I'm going to ask you just to be honest and just say to me, Preacher, I've been wrestling with this choice that I've been tempted to make or I'm thinking about making and I'm not sure. And I need God to direct me in this. Would you just lift your hand? Yes. Anybody else? Anyone else? I've been wrestling with the choice. I haven't made it yet, but I've been wrestling. I'd like to hear from God move that to the second row. Is there anyone here today that will say, Preacher, I've made a bad choice. And I realize it. Just over the last few days or months, I realize what a choice I've made. And I want God to help me to deal with it. Will you pray for me, please? Anybody in that category?
Anyone else? Anyone else? I believe God wants to help us. You made a bad choice. Don't give up. Don't give in. Lean on the mercy of God. God will help you. God will help you. And you that are contemplating decisions, there's more here than raise your hand. I know you are. I know you are. You're just hesitant to raise your hand. That's all right. I'm going to pray for you anyway. I believe that God's going to help you. We're going to do that right in our congregation. Will you help me pray? Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone that lifted their hand. You know exactly their situation. You know where they are. You know what they're contemplating. You know the decisions that have already been made or those that will be made. So I'm asking you through your Holy Spirit to give direction. If they're contemplating the decision, to give them mercy if they've made a decision. May your grace help them to work out of the mess that they're in. And may you bring glory to yourself and to your son Jesus through the end result. Your wonderful, glorious, greatly to be praised. And we thank you for all that you are and for all that you do. Now let us leave this place knowing that you care for us. In the name of Jesus, I ask. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning, would you please? All right. You may be seated.